I'm worried about that myself. So I would never, ever say to anyone, listen, I have the answer. That's why the film is called Answers. It's not called The Answer. Because the diversity and the spectacular wonder in our universe is so myriad and so huge. There's no way to wrap your arms around everything and say, oh, yes, I, I possess it all. And yet the rub is that we really do. And that's such a hard thing to struggle with for me because I'm so left brained Anyway, so what I've said actually just today is this. In my mind, to, to broad brush, there are three types of people in the world. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Always beautiful to be with you all again. I was just telling John, I'm a bit, a bit delirious this morning, so please excuse me. The cat's coming to say hello. Yes, and as I always say, please share the shows and press the like button and subscribe and leave us a comment and all that sort of stuff. If you're listening on audio and you're liking what you hear and you have some questions, send me an email. I've got this amazing man to introduce you to today. Some of you might have seen him because he's been doing the rounds on the podcast shows. John Yost, welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much for your time. John is a filmmaker. Sorry, the cat's trying to drink my tea. Let me read the bio and you'll, you'll learn a little bit about John. John Yost was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, USA. As a child, John experienced some scary encounters with a strange being he saw as a robot from a child sci-fi TV show that he'd watched. When he told his parents about this, he was told it was his imagination and never to talk about it. And so John, like many children who have had these encounters, locked it away in the vault of his subconscious mind until the memories could no longer stay hidden. John's career began working with the U.S. Treasury Department. During that process, he attained his U.S. Customs Brokerage License and occasionally was a paid consultant for the FBI in international trade matters. After 10 successful years, the work lost its appeal so John left this position to seek other opportunities and to realize his childhood dream to tell his story in film. He worked as an actor and in film production and within four years John had successfully earned an invitation to every national arts organization and he's listed them here Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio, Actors Equity Association, American Guild for Arts and Music. John eventually joined the team of Rhino Productions and began the foundational work that would eventually become Rhino Pictures. In addition to the hundreds of projects he's written and directed, John has produced several films, including Alien Abduction Answers, 2022, which is what we're going to talk about today, Making Contact, 2020, and Not Cool in 2014. Alien Abduction Answers, featuring world-famous author and speaker Whitley Strieber, is how John finally tells the true story of what happened to him as a child. And John says here, 
it's not so much about the shiny lights in the sky. This film is about you, your soul and consciousness. And your website is rhinopictures.com. And when John reached out to me uh, to share the film, I, I saw the trailer and I watched a, a bit of an interview he did with somebody else. And I said to John, oh, you know, John, <laughs> I think my audience is kind of past asking the question, what is it? <laughs> Who are they? Is there life in the cosmos? So I said, I don't know if it's for me. And John sent me the most eloquent message. <laughs> and just reading his message, I'm like, yeah, maybe I should look into this further. So you sent me the film and I watched it last night and I love it. I think it's amazing. You've done an excellent job. Thank you very much. I appreciate your kind words. And uh, it's not just about shiny lights in the sky and <clears throughs> asking the question, who are they? <laughs> Is there life in the cosmos? It's actually an exploration of, uh, of your story and other people's story and, and the beautiful Whitley sharing his you know, years of wisdom. But I'd love to hear your story and how it all began. Can you tell us mm. what happened? Yes. When I was seven years old, August of 1974, I was awakened by this uh, undulating hum, kind of like a drone, mm, mm, that sort of thing. I sat up on the side of the bed. I was a little confused and I didn't understand what was going on. And I looked around, but I couldn't go back to sleep. So I went to the, the restroom, the bathroom, and I poured myself a glass of water. And I was in there for a while and the water ran for quite a long time. I don't know why. But after that, I turned off the water and I opened the door and in the doorway to my seven-year-old's eyes was a character from Japanese television. The name of the character was Ultraman. And I had seen this character many, many times on television at the time. And he was kind of a red and silver guy with an oval head, looks robotic, has gigantic almond eyes. And I felt no fear at that point. And so I approached this entity and um, we got very close. And when I mean close, I mean, Karen, we were nose to nose, literally nose to nose. And then something happened. I've, I've explained it like this. It's, it's like being in a very large swimming pool and getting to that level where the water is just underneath your chin. And then, you know, one more step, the world will slip out from underneath you. And that's what happened to me. I felt like I was losing that control. Right then, there was a brilliant flash of light, and there was this kaleidoscope of colors, almost like being in a bullet train. You couldn't determine what the images were, but it was just so fast. And I felt like I was moving, but I couldn't tell. And in this uh, encounter, I'm struggling, I, you know, almost like a drowning person, flailing my arms. So I'm making contact, literally physical contact with this entity. And when I kind of come to my senses, something really surprising occurred. I ended up on the opposite side of this entity. No longer was I inside the bathroom. The entity was in the bathroom and my back was to a stairwell right behind me. Uh, I'm in the middle of the struggle with this entity. No time has passed for me. And he, I say he, reaches out for me with his right hand and touches me on the left shoulder. There's a tremendous energy and I feel myself thrown back and I fall down the stairs, which were hardwood. 
well, I'm screaming like a banshee, a uh, seven-year-old boy. And um, my parents come from the first floor bedroom and, you know, screaming, what, what's, what's the problem? What's going on? And I say, Ultraman is upstairs. My father, you know, he hears intruder and runs up the stairs and slamming doors and he can't find anything. Comes to the top of the stairs. He's, he's kind of disappointed and a little angry at me that I had awakened him. So my parents take me upstairs and they do what parents do. They look under the bed and they show you and there's nothing in the closet, that sort of thing. And then they put me to bed. <clears throat> the next day, it was, uh, it was during summer break from school. So I was out playing with my friends all day. I come in and before dinner, it's time for a bath. And my mother was struggling with me. She takes off my t-shirt. She's examining the bruises on me from the fall, of course. And she notices my shoulder and she says, honey, what's this? And I looked around sheepishly and said, well, mom, I, I told you, Ultraman. She looked very sad. I remember that. She kissed me on the forehead and she said, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. A few days later, my father was taking me to the doctors. And uh, as we pulled into the car park, he said to me, now, listen, when we get in there, I don't want to hear any of this Ultraman bullshit. You keep that to yourself. I adored my father. I was the first son, so I would have done anything, he said. So I walked in, and the doctor gave me a cursory exam. He was looking at all the, the bruises, which were starting to yellow by then. And uh, he came to my shoulder, and he said, hey, sport, what's this? I could see my father in the corner. He was glaring at me. I don't know, you know, about kids today. Boy, I sound old. But, you know, back in 1974, you didn't cross your father. <laughs> and so my, my dad was looking at me with that look. And so I, I said, oh, I, I don't know. I just fell. It was enough for the doctor. He looked at it, examined it. All right. Sent me on my way with a lollipop. And um, so my father's taking me home. And as we pulled into the parking space in front of my home, my parents' home, he looked back at me and he said, now listen, I don't want to ever hear anything about this Ultraman character again. I want you to keep that shit to yourself. I don't want you to scare your mother. I don't want you to scare your sisters. Remain quiet about that. And I said, sure, Dad. And so I kept it to myself for about 45 years. Um, and it became easy. It became easy because no one would ask me about it, of course. And then when I got into sports later on, you know, you're in the locker room or something, uh, somebody would say, hey, Yost, what happened to you? And I, I was bit by a bear. I was hit by lightning. I, I would make up anything because anything would be better than saying, you know, by the way, I was, you know. And it's not really a resume builder in corporate America. I can assure you that. Um, so I lied about it. But it, it was almost like this. People have asked me, why I didn't come forward sooner? And I look at you, Karen, with those lovely glasses on, and I, I have to say, this is what I would say to you. You know, this morning when you woke up, you didn't say, hmm, I must take these glasses and put them on my head so I may see better. That didn't occur to you. You just reached out and put them on just as a reflex. And that's the way it was for me. It was never a topic of discussion. So I kept it hidden my entire life. That's the story. Well, there's a lot more to the story as the film um, explores. So with your dad and mom, are they still alive? 
No, they've passed. So you never discussed it? Did Okay, so I'm posing a question. Did you discuss it with them again before they passed? No, but I will tell you something that was troubling. Um, I was seven years old, and my parents had been married for many years. And um, two years after that, my mother had had some emotional problems, which I remember after this and she, uh, I'm not proud of this, but I mean, God bless her. She died sober, but she took to the bottle and she suffered. And uh, my parents broke up by the time I was nine. And when I say broke up, my father, who I would have died for, left. And when I mean left, evaporated. He wow. went to another state. He, you know, I'm one of six. He just evaporated. Wow. And I can't help but believe that something that evening started that process. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think that it started. I'm just asking the guides. I don't think it started the process. It just, um, it, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Exaggerated what was already there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't take on that guilt. There was obviously problems way before that happened. That, that was just something that, um, yeah, it was just all part of it. So, wow. So, so you never saw your father again from the age of nine? No, I saw him right before he died. It, okay. He was a crippled old man and didn't have time to talk about anything except his gout. <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, wow. he passed. He passed. And my mother passed as well several years ago. Oh, wow. So they never got to see you. Um, do this well no, okay no, silly no. I've said that and I'm going to retract that from their physical perspective they never got to see you see this no. they're saying of course we're seeing him do this yeah. <laughs> so all right in the film you know you um, explore looking for answers for this yeah. and you find yourself uh, a beautiful healer hypnotherapist Deb and uh, you find some answers you know, how far down the rabbit hole did you go? Did, did you, during hypnosis, did you, did you contact your mum and dad on the other side? I mean, uh, you know, because you show a little bit of it in the film and I suspect there's a lot more. I, 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 you said to me that you're going to make a couple more films. Yeah. So um, maybe there was a spoiler alert for the other film. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's all right. I've had many disagreements and arguments with people about that. Well, why isn't it all in there? I said, well, listen, you know, you can't eat an elephant in one bite and you can't go from zero to a thousand percent completely conscious in a day or an hour and a half when you watch a film. It has to be a process. And so that's what the viewer sees. I think you can see that from your viewing. They see this process of someone who awakens, finds themselves lost in ignorance and fear and wants to have some sort of understanding. So it goes on this journey. I mean, if you could see me in the tarot, I guess I'm the fool, right? And so um, I did get a lot of answers. As far as your question about the hypnotherapy, it was, uh, it was glorious. I, I, I doubted it could ever work on me. I, you know, I don't know if that's just arrogance or whatever, but I doubted it could ever work for me. And, um, but it did. And you see the raw in the film. And what I discovered there was, and our focus of that particular session 
was that missing time. I could remember the entire sequence of events with that entity, but I could not, I could not for the life of me figure out how we had changed places, what had happened during that flash of light. I needed to know. And so at this point in the film, I'm desperate to know, I must know. And I've, I've just taken all care and thrown it to the wind and said, I'm going to find out. I don't care what the hell the cost. And so that's what happened and where our focus was. Um, there was a lot more information that came out and it has to be in the second film. Um, because we're taking people, as I said, from ignorance and fear to some understanding. The second one will be from that understanding to some sort of awakening. And the third film will be awakening to ascension, which is, I think, the destination of us all. John, why did you decide to make the films now after all these years? Well, I'll tell you, um, as, as I mentioned, I've been in this business, television and film business, for quite a while, 25 years. And uh, we have done business with some of the biggest companies in the world, uh, BBC, Comcast, Fox, whatever. And I always refer to us as guns for hire. You know, they'll come in and they need a crew. And so we'll bring the cameras and all the drones and all the toys and we'll do the work. We've been hired to do a job and we were traveling to a place called Borrego Springs, California. Now, if you don't know the territory, it's very flat, it's very arid, uh, and uh, there are some rock formations, but it's primarily desert. And so we had been shooting one evening, uh, which is normal for us. We do a lot of night shoots. And um, we'd come back to the huge home that we had rented, Airbnb. My team and I, we were downloading all of the film like we do for redundancy and to make sure that we don't lose it. And we went out to the pool and we were with, I want to say there were probably about 15 or 17 people. And um, so somebody said, oh, let's, let's have a nightcap. Perfect, perfect. And they're pouring the wine and I had a glass, not a, not a plastic cup, but a glass in my hand. And I raised it like this and they were giving a toast. And I saw, a glint, like a, like a flash in the, in the glass. And my mind is, is trying to figure out what this is, you know, and I, oh, it's the moon. It's a, it's a flash of the moon, you know? And I said, wait a second, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense at all because we're shooting because there is no moon. It's a new moon. How, what? And this is all happening very, very quickly. As I pulled down my glass to take a sip behind my glass, about 30 feet to about 30 feet in the air, is this blue, green, luminous thing that looked kind of like an egg. Not really like an egg, but kind of like an egg. And it was above this building that we were staying in. It was a, um, um, a what do they call it, a ranch home. So it's one floor. And, and my mind went crazy. I said, what, what is this? And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mylar. Mylar balloons, like shiny metallic balloons. You see them in the hospital sometimes, get well balloons, that sort of thing, happy birthday balloons. My mind said, ah, that's what that is. That's what that is. But then I'm going through this. It was as big as a Volkswagen. And I said, there's, and it was glowing from the inside. At this point, I put my glass down and one of my cameramen is right here to my left. 
and his name's Scotty. And I grab him. I said, look, he went, oh, my. And these 15 or so people around the pool, they all turned and they're excited. Oh, my goodness. What is this? Holy. And this all happens very, very fast. And just then this thing moves lightning fast, faster than I've ever seen anything move in kind of a zigzag and then stops right above my head. And I'm going to tell you something. At that second, I felt that same, like the world was slipping out from underneath me. And I, I took it almost like a blow. It zipped away from me. Just It was just there seconds. Zipped away, away from me. And then just started to float out over the desert. And we watched it for almost two minutes because it was so flat you could just see it. And then this winked out. What happened was, is that that feeling in me took me back 40 plus years. And I was that little boy in that bathroom being sucked into whatever this was. And I became terrified. So I take a sip of my glass and I'm internally, this is kind of gross, I apologize, but I don't know if you've ever had a stomach flu or something. You always feel jittery inside, like you're going to vomit all the, and that's the way I felt. I'm like, oh, so I put down my glass and, and I kind of make this kind of joke, you know, I'm in charge of this and I've got a lot of paperwork and you kids, you know, I'm going to be tough on you tomorrow. And, and I go to my room and I'm not proud of this, but I, I, pushed all of my luggage up against the door, shoved the bed up against the door because I was petrified. And I spent a night just literally terrified. And I was angry at myself, angry because I was reliving this whole thing. It was always in my mind, but now I didn't understand why I was so afraid. So I'm, as a producer, as a producer, you have to be very on the ball. You know, a lot of check marks, you know, very anal retentive. And I am missing opportunities. And my staff, my guys who are with me, my team, they've known me for a long time. I was not me. So a couple of jokes were made. And I am becoming furious with myself because I cannot control this. And I'm becoming angry and angry. And so I, and then of course I'm embarrassed because, I mean, we're spending other people's money, right? Because we were guns for hire. So there are no room, there's no room for mistakes. I, um, I, I finally get through the shoot. I'm on the plane back and I, of course, self-medicate with some fine Irish whiskey just so I can get there. And, uh, but I get home and my family who has known me my entire life, see that there's something wrong. And I mean, some of these, some of these symptoms were I was petrified of open sky, petrified of deep water, could not get kicked. And I would, I'm going to tell you something that I'm, I'm not proud of. I would wait until everybody left the office and then run to my car so I didn't have to be under the sky. I would try to park as close as I could. So I became furious at myself. This was so totally different and odd to me and to my career and to my life that I had to deal with it. And so what I did was, I, I guess a lot of people, you know, in that case would probably go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And uh, I'm, I like to read. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to go to the first source that I can. And I started to read. 
And I found out that there were people who had experienced things like this. And so that ignited my interest in trying to interview folks. I wanted to know, and I didn't want the I didn't want the printed word. I wanted to hear it from their mouths. I wanted to I wanted to know the intonation, you know, the emotion, whatever that was. And then I was blown away that there were millions of people like this. And so what happened was during that process of interviewing people, I was never supposed to be part of the film. It was always it was going to be one of those dry kind of talking head things, you know. And what happened was, and this will segue right into that other part is this, even though it's so obvious right this second to me, to you and to them, I had never dealt with that missing time. That peace. How did I flip positions with? I had never thought about it. It had never crossed my mind. So now, in the middle of all this, this is happening. So then I started to investigate. They had told me about this Deb Shakti. And so I said, I don't understand any of this stuff. And I don't know what quantum hypnosis is. I have no idea what this is. It could be voodoo for all I know. And I, but I became possessed. And I think in, in the trailer that you have, you see me speaking to her, and I said, I don't care what it is I need to know. And that's why the film came about the way it did. It, I wish it was a, a more interesting story, but it really is a straight line. <laughs> so your alien abduction, as they're called, was really your spiritual awakening. And because you were looking for answers you found the answers what I'd, I'd love to you know find out what else you discovered in your hypnotherapy um maybe it's a spoiler alert but you know having mm. been somebody that's been showcasing people for years i tell you what people need to see this sort of stuff repeatedly they can listen to a podcast show and it won't be actually a spoiler alert for um films because i agree you know, we need to, this information needs to sort of be repeated and repeated and repeated. That's how the media works. They repeat. Yes. Um, they throw out messages that repeat and repeat and repeat until it becomes a belief. So yes. what, what happened to you? What did you see in the hypno hypnotherapy? Certainly. Well, first of all, I learned a very hard lesson about screen memories. Uh <laughs> Ultraman was not Ultraman, I can assure you that, and he wasn't actually a typical gray either. He was more, I, I guess you would say, insectoid in features, he had certain, certain sort of branching antennae, and um, he took me to what I believe was an underground place. It felt very... Um, earthy it felt like i saw stalagmites and stalactites and um and they held me in a particular position and surrounded me with these screens and um these screens had many many images in them and they moved extremely fast which is where i remembered this kaleidoscope of color but the well there were two interesting things for me i mean first of all i speak english so I'm, you know, left to right. And these things were all going right to left. And it, as a little boy, I, I remember it's kind of funny to me because I'm like upset that they're doing it the wrong way. <laughs> so um, that bothered me. But the second thing was that the messages were in between the images. They were 
almost like nesting dolls. And, um, and, and it occurred to me now, you know, on this path that I'm going, this really explains a lot of this kind of communication where it's through the heart, through the mind, through telepathy, through images, through, because that's the real way to communicate. Words limit the idea. Words limit the expression and, and the, uh, the experience. And of course, as a seven-year-old boy, I, I had no concept of any of this. But um, so anyway, also I had uh, uncovered that this had been one of several times that I had been taken to this place. And it's interesting because you say the media, <laughs> you have to say something over and over again. Maybe I was a, especially a hardhead. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, but there was a lot of, a lot of information and feeling. And, and so some of this came out about, and I've learned, by the way, and I'm sorry to, to fragment this answer, but part of the answers that I learned were through other people's uh, interviews and things that I've learned from them. But one of the things, and, and this will kind of bring these two things together, is is that my experience is not necessarily universal, meaning that other people have other images, other encounters, other contact, depending upon where they are spiritually, intellectually, this sort of thing. And the reason is, is because, of course, that communication has to be to that person individually. It has to be through that heart. You know, I, I, I took a class many, many years ago in Belgium, and uh, the guy was talking about communication. He said, you know, said does not mean heard, and heard does not mean understood, and understood does not mean put into practice. And so all of those difficulties are because we construct our ideas and our feelings in these words that are limiting us. Anyway, back to the subterranean experience so <clears throat> all of this stuff is happening to me and i'm at this point i'm frustrated angry and scared as a little boy it's interesting too i don't know if you picked up but in that regression i i almost speak like a little boy it's 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 because i'm literally reliving and that was where the terror was it wasn't that i was processing it as a grown man i was literally transported back in time and as a seven-year-old boy scared out of my mind um and what came to be was a message of and, and i say in the film about the world and what a gift it is and what we're doing to it and what we must do to it about other people other souls really and that's and that's you know that's that's one of those things that that really has to be sussed out you know who are we talking about are we talking about that tall fellow over there with the mustache or are we talking about a soul you know a consciousness so how we treat each other is paramount and as a boy i had no idea what any of this stuff was and why it mattered and this sort of thing and at the end of the equation, I mean, there's a lot to say, but at the end of the equation, it's this. And it, I'm not new in saying this, but I think everybody, even people who are completely unaware, realize that we as a planet, as a species, are on a precipice. We're about to be kind of nudged over into this world that some of us suspect, some of us know, 
and others have rejected since the beginning of time. And this is going to be an ontological shock for some. They just won't be able to handle it. You see all of this disclosure by governments. And I, I try to tell people, I said, listen, that disclosure is not going to be anything. These guys are interested in the technology and shiny lights in the sky. This has nothing to do with that. That's, that's incidental. I said, look, I could have the fastest car in the whole world with technology beyond your wildest imagination. But if I respected you and loved you and obeyed the laws of the land, you would not care. It's who's driving it. It's the source, that central source that it's emanating from. And what is its purpose? And its purpose, I've come to learn, is to say, a tap on the shoulder and say, listen, you are so much more than you are. Your ego and your language prevents you from seeing that. Not only are you keeping yourself back, but here is the wonderful world that you could have if you just open your eyes. And so the message to me was, be ready. Be ready. And I, you know, I, I, hate to, I hate to take this next step. So Karen, please forgive me. I'm always cautious, as I wrote to you. I'm always cautious about people who say, you know, I am the source of all knowledge. And I know, just give me that read out and I'll tell you what they really mean. I, I'm, I'm worried about that myself. So I would never, ever say to anyone, listen, I have the answer. That's why the film is called Answers. It's not called The Answer because the diversity and the spectacular wonder in our universe is so myriad and so huge. There's no way to wrap your arms around everything and say, oh yes, I, I possess it all. And yet the rub is that we really do. And that's such a hard thing to struggle with for me because I'm so left brained Anyway, so what I've said actually just today is this. In my mind, to, to broad brush, there are three types of people in the world. They're the kind of people who say, oh, listen, I'm, I'm watching my stocks. I have no time for this silliness. You know, my life is here. Then you have the other kind of people who say, you know, I, I can think about that. I, mathematically, there could be life in the world. You know? And then there are other people like you who are living this reality. When this thing occurs, this gentle nudge, which the government is trying to control the narrative and it's going to fail miserably. But when this happens, those three types of people will act like this. Oh, my stocks, what? The government's spending, what are they looking at? Those other people say, you know, mathematically, wait, what, our military, what are they looking at? No longer, no longer will people be satisfied to be here. They will, for the first time, in their life, look up. Now, here's the thing. I talk about shiny lights in the sky, and I say, how does this make you think differently about yourself and the world? This is why. The reason that we are captured here is because of our false belief that we are the top of the food chain. We control everything. We box everything in a word. It is our ego. We are in control. What do you mean I'm not in control? That crack in the door allows everything else to be taught. And it can be after it's taught, it can be understood. And people who have had all of these experiences before, who have denied them or lied about them, me, 
can now grow in them. They're no longer afraid. There was something in The Hill, a, a newspaper from Washington, D.C. It said something to the effect of it's no, it's no longer responsible not to report these things. So watch the dynamic. Before it was shun, 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 and then it was, well, okay, fine, you're crazy. Now it's maybe, okay, now it's no longer, you no longer have permission. You have a duty to report. That is a magnificent juxtaposition. And that will begin our opening, not of our eyes, but of our minds and our souls. Hallelujah to that, John. Hallelujah to that. There's a, there's a few things, there's a few things I want to ask you, and there's a few things I want to say to you. Uh, you're very empathic, and you said to me that you're very left brain. And what the guide said to me was before you had the um hypnotherapy sessions you were more dominantly left brained more logical uh, you had the ability to perceive in a more psychic empathic way but you uh, didn't allow that because you were scared of that aspect but after you had the hypnotherapy with deb uh, that shifted and you're actually probably more dominant the other way these days very um you know you can feel things sense things know things see things hear things I want to go back to the encounter because you said to me that, you know, many people have had this sort of encounter and over the years of speaking with people, I've never actually seen an encounter quite like yours in that the beings that came to you were like the ant people. You said they were insectoid, but you, you describe them and show them in the film, you know, like what you saw through, through the hypnotherapy sessions. And they were the ant people and they took you into inner earth. They took you underneath, like they didn't take you up into a ship. They took you, into inner earth yeah did they do experiments like what happened when you were down yeah. there uh, so, i don't recall you don't oh, sorry recall. go ahead no no please please <laughs> I, I interrupted you i apologize no i was just going to say that um the ant people were the people that connected with you up here but when you went into inner earth then you were with a whole bunch of others like there was a stack yes in there. yes yes so, uh and and all of this um nomenclature you know like ant people and things i was i i had no idea truly i was the fool and so uh, when i'm describing things you know people like yourself go oh well i know what that is i have no idea anyway um so that was kind of the um i i i refer to him as their bully in my seven-year-old tongue who came and took me when i was in the presence of these other entities, they were shrouded. They had, it seemed to me, dark clothing. And they seemed to be, you know, I don't want to say the classic gray because they seemed different to me. They had elongated heads and that sort of thing, but they did have gigantic eyes. And they were the ones, uh, they didn't talk to me, they didn't speak to me, but I could feel their presence and they were surrounded. And they, the, the image, the feeling that I get is they observed me about how I reacted to this. And of course, I went through this whole cycle, and it seemed to me I've gone through the cycle so many times where I struggle, I fight, I observe them seeing me, I'm angry at them, then I'm totally angry that they go right to left instead of left to right, and then, all right, well, fine, let's get on with it. And then I, as I'm being pulled into the screens, 
I start to see these, and it's interesting that I'm even thinking about it now. I'm seeing geometric shapes come at me, and then there are colors, and these different colors in different sequences, and I'm saying, I don't understand, I don't understand. And then at that point, I just kind of, I'm frozen into it, almost mesmerized, if you will. And then I'm in the fight again, and then I'm at the top of the stairs. So I, I truly believe that uh, my lack of ability to answer you is because I need some more work there. Uh, but I will say this, is that if you are correct, and I trust that you are, maybe what I'm saying about this passionate drive I feel now is really what was there, is that I'm somehow somehow people will talk about mission i never think of me having a mission I, somehow greasing the wheels if it were or helping helping those people those three types of people that i mentioned those or those two types of people that i mentioned you know allowing them understanding this is why the film is here we try to shepherd people through that ontological shock and that fear that you know it just happens you know not for everybody Many people are much more enlightened than me. <laughs> totally. I totally applaud you and I'm envious. Uh, but me, just as a regular Joe, I was not and I'm not. And I'm on this path. And so what I'm trying to do with these films is I'm trying to allow the masses to come with me on the same path from ignorance and fear to some sort of understanding. And as we go down this path, when this thing occurs, this precipice, we step over this collectively will be able to go together instead of just a few of us. And I think that's really the goal that we all go. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, what did he look like? <laughs> he's, uh, he's running uh, the show on Gaia TV called Cosmic Disclosure. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, uh, uh, em em Emery Emery. What's Emery's last name? Anyway, it'll come to me in a minute. So he speaks about, so Emery is somebody that uh, worked in this space program, secret space program oh. as a doctor, a dissecting um, uh, non-humanoid, well, well, extraterrestrial bodies. And he met many ETs oh. and has an extensive, extensive story uh, with oh. what you're talking about. And he talks about the ant people and he talks about them um, being slaughtered by, I can't remember who it was, whether it was us or something, but that they, uh, I remember one of the interviews when he talked about the ant people, he got very emotional um, because oh. he, he saw them as um, quite loving, even though that you experienced them as very uh, robotic, like that's why you saw a robot sort of and, and without compassion or feeling. Oh. Um, you know, you get upset because they like they don't care, they don't care. But Emery experiences them so uh, as very caring, but it's just that they operate differently to us. They don't have the same yeah. emotion, emotional body yeah. as we do. They feel like they don't feel <laughs> to us. Sure. But sure. Um, yeah, it's, I feel as I hear a story more, I feel like, you know, they were contacting you because they had experienced the wrath of humans and, um, Really, it was, yeah, you say you're not on a mission. You're on a mission. <laughs> you're on a mission to tell people that if we keep this up, we're going to kill ourselves and everybody else. And, um, yeah, the, there was a message that was being 
given to you as a child. And I've had many people on the show that say the same thing as children, either ETs or angels or some sort of spiritual beings have contacted them to give them a message about the future and to try and stop us going down this path, this destructive path. Um, but like most people, you know, we tuck it away and don't speak about it for years and then that it kind of bubbles up inside you until you can't, you can no longer ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that lying, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that obfuscation, that, that lying, uh, it, it poisoned me, uh, even unconsciously, subconsciously. You know, the fact that something so true should be hidden. And isn't that the way of the world? Uh, you know, that, that lying, that obfuscation is the only way to control. So what are you saying? Not you, but what are you saying? I say to a third person, you know, so the truth is not good enough because if I knew the truth then I wouldn't go along with you, is that the deal? And isn't that, I mean, I mean, isn't that mind opening, but isn't that tragic? Isn't that absolutely tragic? Because I have to tell you, I'm, you know, I'm 55 years old. One of the things that's so difficult for me is that I feel like I've wasted most of my life. I wouldn't say that. I remembered yeah. his name, Emery Smith. I wouldn't say you've wasted. I think that everything you've done, everything that we do is a lead up to who we are in this moment, like everything, uh, you know, your, your career and the, with the treasury department and yeah, because the film's beautifully made. It's really well made. And, and so well, you've, you. de you've developed skills, you know, working in you know, film and television for so long and working as an actor. I mean, even working as an actor gives you the ability to share your story which, with, you know, conviction and passion. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, without being scared to sort of speak. No, no, nothing is wasted. Yeah, nothing is wasted in this cosmos. And um, I don't think it's too Still late. Tough. Uh, yeah. Well, no, it's not too late. I'm, 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 I'm grappling with that. But like I say, everything, and I think maybe this is one of the unique things about the film, is that, is that we invite people to engage with us. They immerse themselves in the stories and the people that they see. You know, it's no, it, you've seen so many documentaries like this. You know, uh, okay, you see this crash on some old newsreel, and they say, oh, you know, back in 1940s. It's none of that, really. It's it, you're immersed in it. You're following these people. You're with them. You see these interactions, and 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 I'm hoping to, in my limited way, touch people the same way the the entities that touch me, through sight, through sound, through tone, through color, because that truth will surface in them. You know, I know that you had some doubts prior to, to seeing the film. And then you said, oh, you know, I can see, you know, some benefits. here, and, and this is what it is. You know, it might not be for your particular audience, but it might be for hundreds of people that they know on a regular basis. And, um, yeah, and, I'm, and I'm, exactly. you know, I'm growing every day. You know? I have a very skeptical, very galactic, very skeptical brother. And I always think about what he would think about this. <laughs> Yeah, you know, what would the mainstream skeptical mind think about this sort of stuff? And uh, having a brother like that sort of uh, gives me that perspective. Uh, as soon as things get to, because um, he's very logical, when you're in your logical mind, you know, you're kind of locked out of your emotional sense. So when you see people get emotive and cry and stuff like that, they go, ah, but yeah, so you introduce the, 
you know, people sharing their stories and, and, and how sure. it impacted them, which is that emotive part. But you also introduced, you know, you have all the lights in the sky and people talking about it. Yeah, I've seen so many documentaries like that, just people uh-huh. postulating and, you know, showing footage of Tic Tacs and stuff like that. It just seems to be all over the, you know, uh-huh. prime video and all that sort of stuff, Netflix series. Uh, uh-huh. It doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't offer any answers. It doesn't. It's just the question, uh-huh. what is it? Who are they? <laughs> and uh-huh. I just thought, oh, God, I couldn't watch another one of those. No, no. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I guess that how people respond to it, people that have got memory will definitely respond to it in a way of uh, uh, awakening their memory. I think that that was probably your, you wanted to people to remember like uh, what happened to them and, and, and maybe bring those suppressed memories out because sure. Yeah. I think that's really the message. Like, don't think you're crazy. Don't listen to your parents that told you never to talk about it. Uh, uh, yeah. This is real. This is real. This is real. And there are people, there are people today having, you know, epiphanies, mm-hmm. you know, who might not have had interaction as a child, but are now faced, you know, I think about your brother, you know, what if he was faced with an absolute proof to his mind? Now, I, I, I don't know if you heard in one of my interviews, I, I talk, I, I try to talk to people about changing the way they look at things. And I say, you know, if, if, you, if you have a hard time understanding different dimensions or something with a lack of proof, I th- think about this, you know, if you and I, Karen, were standing beside a, a big tub of fish, and I stuck my ugly face in that fish tank, I'm literally breaking that barrier. I'm pushing myself into the dimension of the fish. And so they've never seen a fish that looks like me. So they swim up and they're curious and, and my head moves like it's like no fish they know. And they, and this is very key. The fish has no concept that what they're seeing, what they're perceiving is attached to a neck, is attached to shoulders, is attached to a body, is attached to a consciousness that has an entirely different set of agendas than they could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally get time for a breath, I pull my face out. I evaporate in front of them. They try to tell their fish friends and they smock them because there's no proof. But here's a real life example of breaking into them. Well, that's what I tell my very logical friends. <laughs> that's a great explanation. That's explaining going from, you know, second density dimension, third dimension, fourth dimension. Uh, unless you're in that dimension, we can't understand it. And uh, sure. these beings live in the fourth dimension. We're in third dimensional consciousness. Oh. They're in fourth and fifth dimensional consciousness. I know what I wanted to say to you. Uh, you said to me that you're going to make two more documentaries. You allude at the end of the film that you meet somebody and I don't know, shall I disclose? I knew exactly who it was. Of course you do. <laughs> but, but then again, since you know, you know that he's the invisible man now. How do you mean? Kind of. Well, he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of pulled himself out of, the, out of things. He's kind of disappeared for a few months. I did not know that. In fact, so many people have said, put, put him on your show, put him on your show. And I've thought yeah. about reaching out to him. He shared because he's got an amazing story. Oh, yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, what amazes me about him is that he's, he's, you know, he's older now, but he looks incredibly young. It's like the older he gets, 
the more he looks like he's ET self. One hundred percent. Yeah. I, I spent some time with him uh, in in California. In fact, he was he was one of the most giving people. I don't know if you want to record this, but he was one of the most giving people in the world. He he said, John, just come here. And he provided places for all of my crew, everybody. And and he, by the way, this is how this is how I actually uh, people ask me, well, how did you get to Whitley Strieber, you know? And so I, I said to Debs, I really want to talk to kind of an authority on this, who's kind of walked the same path of surprise and what the hell is this and to some sort of an understanding and then some sort of integration and that sort of thing. And she said, I know this gentleman that we have avoided saying his name. And so we talked to him and he, 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 he got on, he got on camera with me like this. And this is all he did. <laughs> he, just he just smiled at me for 15 minutes. <laughs> and then he, and I, and I, and I remember, I remember Karen, I have no idea about anything i'm and i'm still roiling with emotions and upset and all this other stuff and there is a guy who's on this screen smiling at me with this beautiful smile and with these crystalline blue eyes he's staring a hole at me won't say a damn word and i went oh, oh no what's going on and i thought is he hypnotizing me what's going on i'm just being honest with you i, I know i felt like such a fool i know i sound like a fool saying it but i'm and, and i have to tell you something i'm falling in love with this guy i'm thinking what a great guy he's never said a word to me and finally at the end he just he just looked at me and he said i understand you want to make a movie about contact and i said yes sir and he said and you want to speak to whitley streamer I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, we'll do it in my house. Come on out. And he hung up. I, well, how, where do you live? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything. I don't know anything. <laughs> and so then, you know, we went through the process of contacting Whitley, Whitley. And then Whitley was a, a, a different cat altogether. Um, I, I honor Mr. Streeper. I, in fact, I don't want to say that we're friends, but we are very friendly. We, we speak often. We talk a lot. Uh, we exchange emails back and forth. But I cannot call him Whitley. I have to call him Mr. Streber. And I think it annoys him and also amuses him. So he doesn't correct me. But I, you know, I've known him for a year or so, and I can't call him anything but Mr. Streber. But Mr. Streber kind of interviewed me to see exactly who I was and where mm -hmm. I was going. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, look, this is the Wild West in a lot of ways. And there are a lot of charlatans. And uh, and he has to be careful too. You know, he's been the subject of issues, you know, people who were not honest. And so he interviewed me. And then what I did was uh, for the interview, I literally read every single book he had ever written on contact and the visitors. And so I submitted my questions to him and he looked at me like, who are you? You know, that sort of thing. And I just, an apostle, a disciple. I don't know. I just want to find out these answers, you know, so desperate to find out. And, uh, and that's how that all happened out in California. And it was beautiful. And he came up and stayed with the gentleman, he who shall not be named. And uh, we all stayed. We all stayed. Are we not allowed uh, to tell people who? No, is? I mean, we can say whatever we like. We'll keep it a secret. We'll keep it. Well, guessing. no, he's one of the associate producers. So I'd be happy to say yeah. his name is Mark, Mark Sims. Sims. <laughs> and I've, I've fallen in love with the guy. I think he's great. Uh, and he has a great smile.
I'll just tell you that. He has a big smile. He has a lot of teeth. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those people when he smiles, you see uh, the top and the bottom teeth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, biggest smile in the world. So... Uh, yeah, a silly Whitley, little anecdote. Sorry. I think that Whitley is rich. You know, he's contacted by so many people. He's really got yeah. to pick and choose who he wants to spend time with. Yeah. So I can imagine that he interviewed you. Yeah. Because he doesn't want, yeah, as you say, fools. Yeah. Sure. And, and, and to be truthful, I, I made certain that he had every frame of uh, not only his work, and uh, we did s several uh, vignettes for him about his dear wife and about his explanation on uh, some of the uh, craft that has been, found, I mean, some of the uh, arts that has been found in Mexico and South America and this sort of thing. But uh, in addition, I said to my part of our agreement was I said, sir, listen, I want you to review every frame of the film. And if you put a V, I will, I will adhere to what you say. And so it's been approved. It's been approved by him. I didn't do anything behind anyone's back. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, I've often thought about talking, reaching out to him to talk about his communication with his wife on the other side, because I think that, oh, um, uh. you know, we uh, humans, uh, we humans, people, when they think about these subjects, you know, afterlife communication, ETs, they put uh. them in two separate camps, but it's really the one camp. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's contacting a higher, different, um, faster dimensional being. And uh, the thing I love about, you know, higher civilizations is they're in complete communication with people who are supposedly in our vernacular dead, you know, uh -huh. spirits, and they're communicating with spirits all the time, talking to them. And yeah, there's, there doesn't seem to be any separation between their world, between the spirit world and their physical uh, world. And that, yeah, it's so beautiful. You know, I had a woman on the show, Susie Hansen. Have you heard of Susie Hansen? She's a New no. Zealand woman. She's very prolific in the ufo uh, community she was contacted as a child and um, taken up to ships and she was introduced to the soul of her son as an orb of light and she was wow. like a, she was like a child of about seven ten at the time and the et said to her this will be your son when you grow up and get pregnant get married and have pregnant this soul will incarnate into the body of your son and uh so wow. yeah there was that communication there but she had many you should check out her story she had many, she was taught Thank by you. the ETs, like they're in school, you know, up on the ship, oh. they're in school. And as I say, I've spoken to many people that as children were given the message from higher civilizations that we were oh. going down a tra trajectory where we could destroy this world and theirs. And they um, were really trying to get the message out to please change, please change the sure. way you live, think. Yeah, it's all about consciousness is please awaken to who you are as multidimensional, incredible, infinite. You know, that's so funny that you say that. I'm funny, ironic. You know, one of the things that I faced uh, as kind of a pushback is that people say, well, why in God's name would aliens or ETs or higher, why would they give a damn about us? And it's that interesting sort of catch 22 listen the world thinks that it's all alone and it's so important and the high but yet again it cannot believe that it's worthy of love isn't that fascinating it can't believe that it's part of the whole and that's the whole that's really the segue into the idea of these three films that i'm developing the second film takes us from that sort of understanding to an integration so if you come to terms with understanding that 
these things exist and they're part, they're not really supernatural. They're really natural. We're natural. We're all part of this soup, if you will. How does that integrate into your life? How, how does that change you as a person? And then the last one will be alien abduction ascension, where there are people in the world yourself, Karen, who not only have gone through your own process, your own understanding, your own uh, truth being, you know, inside you, and now you spread that to the world. You're literally changing the world every time you turn that computer on. There are people all around the world. I was blown away. I was totally nonplussed. I could not. How did I? Are you crazy? And this is the thing that just pushed me over the edge. They're like millions of people not just five or six or eight or yeah. no, millions, millions of freaking people. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, I am a loser and way behind. I got some Darling catching one. up to do. Stop this self-deprivation. <laughs> I loved that. What you said, you are literally changing the world. Every time you turn that computer on that, 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 wow. Wow. That really spoke to me. What are you going to call the next one? The next one is alien abduction. Awareness. Awareness. That's right. You've probably awareness, said that a few yeah, times. Yeah. That's okay. Oh, yeah, and that's, not, that's, not... Yeah, that's it, that integration. Awareness and, and ascension. Ascension, yes. Uh, yes. Answers, awareness, and ascension. The yeah. three films. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, dying one. Uh, may I offer something to you? I had done a vignette for Whitley regarding his wife and their contact now mm -hmm. and i would be happy it's, it's public it, it, you know he posted it of course uh but i gave it to him as a gift as a thank you nice. and i would be happy to send you the link because if that's something that's interesting to you i would be happy to send it to you yeah i think it's beautiful that connection i've had many people on the show that speak about their um ongoing connection with their loved ones who have exited the matrix is what i say yeah. they always tell me never to say that they're dead because, uh, you know i wrote uh, a book about this because mom died when i was young and uh, she kept coming to me and telling me that she wasn't dead but i didn't understand what she was talking about so every time i use the word dead they say we're not dead we're just uh, not, we're just not experiencing what you're experiencing we're experiencing uh, something else that is probably more real than what you're experiencing so yeah well, if you'll allow me I, I know it probably sounds trite to your mind but you know, there are so many people who don't get that. And I'm learning these things as I go, yeah. like I said, the fool go on this path. The way I've been able to explain it, and maybe this is my gift, taking these very, I don't want to say esoteric, but they're high-minded concepts and reducing them into the vernacular of just your regular fella or gal. When I think about, when I think about that, the dead, whatever, I ask people this, I say, so I would say to you, you know, are you... Karen Swain, um, if you took off that green wrap and put it on the back of your chair, right, and stood away from it, would it jump up and animate itself? No, of course not, because you're a woman in a wrap. You're not a wrap wearing a woman. And I said, so what we are is a soul, a consciousness wearing a body. We're not a body wearing a soul. And I said, it's literally pushing ourselves into this dimension, experiencing all that this has to offer. But really, the majority of us, the best part of us is actually a little right back here, just step back. And, uh, and anyway, that's my simple way of looking at it. You know, that's so interesting that you say that. The very first time I heard about a near-death experience when I was, uh, I was a young girl, about 23, I had embarked on a naturopathy course. And there was some extracurricular 
court, you know, speakers coming after the, it was a nine to five every day at night. Anyway, so I did one of these courses and it was a woman, I can't remember her name. It was just too many years ago, John, that said exactly the same thing. She said, when I died, I looked down at my body and it was as if I had just taken off my, we call them jumpers or cardigans oh. or top or sweater, yeah, yeah, yeah. American. Yeah. Um, and I looked at my <laughs> Thank body. You, <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. I looked at my body as if I would look at a piece of clothing. It was just something I wore. I'll never forget that she said that. I can't tell you how many wow. years ago that was. And um, yeah, she was the first person I heard talk about uh, an NDE when I was a young girl, young naturopathic student. But yes, as, as regarding your parents, have you reached out to them in spirit? You know what, Karen, yeah. this is a this is an interesting question that you have, and, and, and it's it's interesting for a different reason. I have not, and the reason it, and this is very difficult for me actually. You know, we we put the, there's part of me in this world and part of me out of this world, right? And we're all mingled together, and you know that better than anybody. So here I am in the film. And we do this film, which I, I poured my heart and soul into. And part of the charm of it is, is, or part of the effectiveness is, that you're watching it in real time. So I thought that, okay, well, this happened to me. And I lived through this kind of catharsis. And that's it. I was very mistaken. <laughs> because when the door opened up, I think there were a crowd in a bar somewhere on some other level that went, hey, he's awake. And they all <laughs> ran into the, to, 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 you know, shake me up a little. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm, and I'm now once again, kind of like that kind of frozen guy. I don't want anything to happen until the cameras roll again, because we want, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I want the, I want the, the viewer to witness and experience all of that joy, all of that interest, all of that. And, um, and so, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, so you plan to go back to Deb and have another session. Yes, yes. A long, and long answer. I told you I was Irish. I'm sorry. To, let's talk to <laughs> mum and let's talk to mum and dad. What have you got yeah, to yeah, say? Yeah. And, and, and put that on camera. Oh, well, that would be great. I can tell you what they're saying to me now, but maybe I'll tell you that off camera. Do you want it on camera or off camera? I'd love it. I'd love it. I'd love, should, should I do this? No. Uh, what they're saying to me about your dad is that, you know, he was harsh, but he played his role exactly the way it was uh, agreed that he would play between the two of you as souls, um, that he would uh, do the shutting down. And um, in that, it actually spurred more questions in you because of the resistance. So it was kind of like a role play. It was like the actor on the stage. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And him even disappearing again sparked more questions in you. So it was all like a part of the role that he was playing to get you asking questions, to get you seeking to put you on your path. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Because now all I do is ask questions. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> questions are great. And uh, they're saying that um, your mom is guiding you from the other side and sending you so much love. Uh, and your dad is just kind of chuckling and laughing like <laughs> I, I did. I played my role really well. It's, it's like, It'd be like him. It'd be like him to be <laughs> enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, enjoying it. Yeah, enjoying it. Karen, I'm so blessed that you allowed me to speak to you today. Thank you. Uh, in my last paragraph to you, I, I said that, you know, your questions would be more insightful and 
you would add more to the conversation <laughs> and helping me understand it. You know, I, I'm the one who recorded it all, but you know, I, I don't know all the answers. I still am this perpetual seeker. And so I, I really want to thank you. Oh, darling one. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, I thought, I thought it was fascinating. Actually, I loved the part in the movie uh, where you contact your higher self because uh, because that's what I was looking for really because uh, I believe that we all have the ability to connect to that aspect of ourselves that has all the answers and it was so well um I guess it was a recreation I don't know I, no, that, no, that was raw that was real time ah, that cool. was raw yeah. yeah and you go you know and you just start just start channeling your higher self and um, freaked me out freaked uh, me out yeah, I, I couldn't watch the film for a while. I couldn't watch the, we recorded everything and I couldn't watch it for a couple of days. And I said, okay, I'm ready to, and I, what happened there? What happened there? It was, it was very strange. To me. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I, I that was my favorite part actually. Uh, um, but yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that higher connection where people access their, their broader perspective, their higher self, their divine essence, and and it takes over the mind so that the the little limiting mind that is full of criticism and self deprivation just moves out of the way, and then this flow of um, exalted wisdom just comes through. And uh, I can't actually remember what you said. I don't think you put much of that in the film, but it's like yeah. they were preparing you. You said that you're not on a mission, but basically they're just saying, "No, nope, you're on a mission." contracted to do this you know it's all it's all perfect it's it's yeah. uh, and you're doing exactly what you said that you would do oh that's what i was going to tell you about susie actually she people attribute this to dolores and susie gets very angry about this but she during her time as a child she was given a lot of knowledge and one of them was the three waves of volunteers and uh have you heard this concept no teach me waves? teach me please teach me uh, well dolores cannon do you know who she is I've heard the name. I've seen nothing with her in it. Hypnotherapist. Oh my God. Prolific books put out many, many books. Amazing. You got to check out her work and Susie. Okay. So the three waves of volunteers, one of the, the second wave was the communicators, the experiences that would have the experience. And then when they're older, she, she said that when they're older, they would come out publicly and share their experiences, you know, either on a podcast show, you're sharing it more extensively and you're making documentaries about it. You know, you're doing your work, huh? And that was their job. You know, that was the, oh. that, that, the three waves of volunteers are the volunteers that came to earth during this time of great expansion to um, help this world shift into a different consciousness. And so the first wave of volunteers are what is called the healers and the indigos. They've been coming in for hundreds of years and they came in more prolifically just after the Second World War when the bomb went off, like huge amounts of souls came to earth and they were born predominantly into female form because they wanted to um, reestablish the sort of feminine principles that had been squashed. And so, you know, when I was in my 30s, I was hanging out with these old women. Now I'm one of the old women, but they were born after the war, you know, that are now in their 70s. And there were just masses of them. There were healers and psychics and and they're still coming in, you know, they're kind uh -huh. of coined the indigos. And the third wave was uh, is the people that would come in knowing their mission in their subconscious mind, but they would be asleep for a certain amount of time until the shift hits the fan, which I think it's well and truly done lately. <laughs> and then they would wake up 
they would have this divine timing where they would just wake up and know exactly why they're here and what they're here to do. And they're inside systems like governments and health systems. And, and I've seen that so much in the last couple yeah. of years since the shift hit the fan, you know, and um, yeah, they're the third wave of volunteers and they're, they're younger. They're probably, you know, from sort of late forties down um, that would be the act. They would take action from a higher perspective and they would change, mm -hmm. they would change the systems of this world because they'd be working inside these systems. Mm. So yeah, fascinating, isn't it? It is fascinating. Mm. It is. Wow. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I, when I tell you that I'm on this path, I really am on this path. I know yeah. that it's kind of funny to you, but it's it's really where I am. And I thank you very much. Oh, darling one, you're doing wonderful work. And uh, yeah, so this film is not just for the beginners. I have to say, I thought it might be just for the people asking questions. What are they? But it does, it goes deeper than that. But it's definitely for those skeptical brothers and people that you know that... Um, Maybe the door has creaked open a little bit, and they're answer, uh, asking questions. It does, uh, it, it yeah, it does. It will inspire them more to ask more questions. Yeah, ask better oh. questions. Oh. So, thank you, John, so much for being on the show. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. The beautiful John Yost. Uh, we just had a <laughs> hour conversation after I turned off the recording. I was quizzing him about. The film industry, actually. I used to work in the film industry, but not in production. You know, I used to be a caterer, makeup artist, you know, sew the clothes, do all that creative stuff when I was young. When I was a young naturopathic student. Uh, yeah, I used to do lots of commercial feeding people, feeding people, feeding people. I'm still feeding people, but I'm feeding you information now instead of food, <laughs> instead of making salads and spaghetti. Um, yeah, because, you know, like getting this kind of content out into the world in a way that people can see it and watch it and pay for it because it costs, you know, like it costs half a million, a million dollars to make a documentary like this. Like it's expensive. How do you recoup that money selling it for $5, renting it out for $5? Yeah, Ooh, I don't know because I've got lots of friends that contact me and say, can you help me get this, you know, documentary made? I want to do a fundraising thing. I want to get some money. And I can't help them do that. Really? I'm, I'm not in production. I don't know how people find money to make these things, to tell you the truth. Maybe if you do, you can enlighten me. But John's been working in the film industry for years and he's already got a company up and running that where, you know, a commercial company where he makes television commercials and he works for big productions. So he, he just sunk his own money into it. And I said, do you think he'll recoup your money? And he said, yeah, he really does. He thinks he will. So hopefully he will. But he was just telling me, he was just telling me, I don't know if I should say this on film. Yeah, why not? We were talking about Jeff, you know, I've just, I was just been on Jeff Myra's fabulous podcast show. I have to say I fell completely in love with Jeff and I'm going to have him, um, you know, not in that way, like, you know, I fall in love with everybody. I'm going to have Jeff share to share his story on my show. He didn't think he had an interesting story because he hasn't an NDE or a spiritually transformative experience, but um, I don't care. I think that he's still fascinating. And John was on Jeff's show too. And I was just saying, wasn't it great being on Jeff's show? You know, I got so many great comments and so many views and it was just beautiful. I wish my show had as many people and views and stuff like that. Uh, maybe one day. Different calibre of audience, I have to say. And he said, no, he said half the views or, or more than half the comments um, were negative. And they were saying, ah, oh, this guy's not giving us any answers. He's just trying to sell a documentary. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I said, really? That's what the comments were? He said, yeah, go and read the comments. He said, most of them are really negative. And I'm like, oh, really? That really, because I have to say that the comments that I got were really lovely and positive. Uh, a couple of people said not buying it. And a couple of other people said, but, you know, like very few uh, said, uh, what did they say? Um, oh, gee, I can't remember now, but I did respond. What was it that they said? <laughs> sort of negative information doesn't stay in my mind. They had some uh, comment about, oh, I can't remember. It'll come back to me. But yes, it's interesting, the people that are out there. And I, and I told him that my audience are different, that they're all very enlightened. And I attract a different audience. I don't think I attract the seekers. The seekers are the people that are just ingesting information oh that's interesting next oh that's interesting next oh that's interesting next and they're just watching they're just drawing in all this information but they're it's not sort of landing it's it, they're at the beginning they're expanding their mind and their consciousness and they just get on with their life it doesn't really change how they you know think and feel and what they do with their lives uh, my audience is not like that my audience does stuff you know they actually implement i get so many emails saying how the show's have changed people's lives and they've started to implement the the um, teachings that come through the shows into their lives and their lives have changed and they kind of, and you guys you, you take action too like you buy the dvds and you buy the books because everybody i put on the show says you know i'm selling the books the books are selling and the dvds are selling and so they're not worried about you know you guys are not worried about being sold to oh you're just trying to sell me a dvd you know what? Yes, that's what, yes, that's why he came on the show to sell his DVD and try and recoup some of the money. But, you know, in doing so, he's also expanding consciousness and, and waking people up and letting people come out of that fear and that closet of if I share what I know, what happened to me, or if I look into it and I have a hypnotherapy and find out how is that going to change my life and what will people think of me in this fear that so many people live about being ridiculed and judged and you see the comments on many youtube shows it's not surprising they're all many people are so judgmental because we're in that logical critical mind i think i've talked about on galactic goddesses connect hearts across australia across australia across the waters and many other shows when i was editing a show of someone i had on the show once i was in my logical critical mind as you do and I had a criticism and I'm like, oh, God, she's a bit over the top, isn't she? And then the guides came in and they said to me, okay, Karen, now we want you to go back and rewatch that part that you have just watched or listened to and drop into your heart and watch it from a different perspective, not from the critical mind. And I said, okay. And I did that. I went back and I watched it and I just burst into tear, tears at the reverence and the beauty of what I was witnessing and watching. Even though I had already interviewed the person I was witnessing and watching it, you know live and then I was editing and it just showed me how we respond to something completely differently when we are in our hearts or when we're in our critical logical minds and we get so judging judgmental criticized people and then when we're in our hearts we can really hear what people are saying not the words but really hear the transmission of the energy because you know when we're speaking we're transmitting energy when we're singing we're transmitting energy when we're thinking we're transmitting energy and when we're in our hearts we can feel it and hear it and digest it and and let it land in our lives and in our bodies 
And I think that we should all witness everything from that heart-centered space. Um, critical mind space is, has its purpose, you know, when you're editing or being discerning in that sort of way. But to be able to have those two simultaneously, the heart space and the critical mind space sort of melding together as one so that you can analyze and still be heart-centered, mm, something that we're learning as humans. Yeah, so that was a really fascinating chat that I had with John after the show. <laughs> as you do, he's a lovely man and he's doing amazing work. A bit self-deprivating, but <laughs> he'll get over it. A few more hypnotherapy sessions with Deb. Get that higher self channeling through him. That was amazing. Uh, watching that on the documentary, seeing him in his higher self. That was really cool, actually. It was very cool. Mm. All right, I'm going to go. Who's coming up? Talked about it. Jill Stein, parental medium, talks to incoming souls, dragon master in the inner sanctum coming up in June. Just finished five weeks with uh, the conscious, conscious Awakening series with Sheila Seppi. We had the beautiful... Jane Elworthy on yesterday. Oh, master, master musician, master teacher. She plays the um, drum and channels the Palladians and Venusians and the Arcturians and the Hathors. Oh, she's amazing. She's beautiful. She's having a retreat in September. And I thought I would treat myself to her retreat in September after my birthday. Go out there into Broken Hill, which is out, out back, out back, because I live on the coast. Go into the go into the red center and um yeah and make a drum and hang out with some galactic goddesses and under the stars you know out in the red center the stars are amazing so yes all right love you big time thank you again for listening and watching and, and please share the shows and buy that dvd John. <laughs> it is a really interesting dvd it's the sort of dvd you can give to your skeptical brother like me and they can watch it you know because it has that logical part and they can watch it without sort of writing it off as woo-woo crazy stuff. <laughs> uh, and uh, I look forward to his next couple of documentaries. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. Big love to you all. Remember to check out the book, Awakened by Death, if you haven't already. And see you again soon. Bye for now.